The scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 921 in the Black Bibles. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks for reading, Bob. Good morning, y'all. My name is John Trapp. I'm the senior pastor here at Christ the King. Great to see all of you here this morning. Um, quick reminder, if you're sitting on the left-hand side of the aisle, if you could grab that, that black pad and sign in with us, we'd love to, to know that you're here with us so that we can be hospitable to you. Um, I want, before we uh, unpack this passage that Bob just read for us, to, uh, to briefly look with you at the 2022 budget. Uh, that's been approved by our session uh, so that you're aware of all that we have planned and coming for the next year. So the session has approved a $4.6 million budget for this upcoming year. Um, th- this is an increase in part because of the ministries that we're ramping up as uh, we're able to be together more and more in person. Um, So initiatives that we have for adults, students, and children all ramping up, but also um, as we support the planting of Advent Presbyterian Church in the medical center, uh, we also are needing to take care of our building some. We've been in this building now for 12 years, and so it's not new anymore. Uh, So some of those expenses will be going towards refurbishing uh, this space that we're in. But all of that, uh, all of that we are doing uh, financially in our church is behind the, the mission and the vision for us to reach Houston for Christ and renew lives by grace. Everything that we do here at this church is to that end. And as we think about how, how are we going to reach 
our city, our neighborhood, our friends with the good news of Jesus, the posture that I want us to think of more and more that we are taking as a church is a posture of hospitality of hospitality because we believe that God has hosted us in his creation, in his world, that he has hospitably welcomed us when we were far from him. And so we want to more and more be a church that is hospitable to our neighbors. So one of the things I want you to anticipate even next year's budget looking like, the 2023 budget, is that 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 mission pie I want to see grow even more. Uh, One of the things that we're doing in preparation of thinking about that, some of y'all have heard me talk about our Silver Vision team that we have assembled. It's a group of nine people, men and women from our church who are representing you as we try to think about and learn about our surrounding community the needs of our community, uh, how we, with all the resources that God has given us from the land, but also just the people and the knowledge that we have in our church, the financial resources God's given us, how can we use all of those things that God's blessed us with to reach Houston for Christ, renew lives by grace in a hospitable manner to our neighbors? So as we imagine and think about that, I want you to anticipate and be praying about how, how is the Lord going to help us live missionally here on this, on this campus that he's given us so graciously. Um, that is what we're talking about, um, oddly enough, this morning is mission. Our sermon title this morning is Intro to Mission. One of the things that we believe here at Christ the King, uh, if this is your first time here and you're kind of wondering what is this place that I've stepped into, uh, there's, a, there's a missionary, uh, a 19th century missionary named D.T. Niles, and he said that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. So if you are new to this place and you're wondering what we're about, that's kind of what we're about. Like we think that all of us show up at this place as spiritual beggars, whether this is, you've been coming to Christ the King, like Ryan said, for 25 years or 25 minutes. All of us are spiritual beggars. And that's kind of an offensive thing to hear in some regards, that you're a beggar. But I want you to know that you're in really good company. We all show up as beggars in need of bread. But what we believe at this church is what the Lord Jesus says, that he himself is the bread of life. And so what we want to do is point people to where we have found this bread. So as we consider this mission that Paul began on, that Paul and Barnabas began on, this is the first story of Paul's first missionary journey that we're looking at this morning. So as we consider this introduction to mission, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, we do need you now um, to send us your spirit who enlightens and enlivens our hearts that we may know you more and also see ourselves um, with the reality that, uh, of who we really are and our need that we really have uh, and your gracious provision to care for those who, who see their need and who call out to you for help. And so we pray now that you would help us, uh, help us to see the good news of Jesus in this story now. And we ask it in his name, amen. So we're having a little intro to mission. Three things I want you to see this morning. First, the fuel to mission. Second, the resistance that we should expect. So resistance to mission. And third, so what? Fuel to mission, the fuel of mission, the resistance to mission, and so what? Uh, I 
was talking to a campus minister, a friend of mine. He was telling me a story about this young man at his college campus, fraternity guy, kind of fits all the stereotypical fraternity guy things that you're imagining right now in your head. But this young man began to hear the gospel and to believe the gospel that Jesus, by his grace, saves sinners. That God sees him not as righteous because of what he's done, because of our good deeds, but because of what Jesus has done on his behalf that's offered to him by grace through faith in Christ alone. And it was kind of blowing this guy's mind. He's hearing this and actually beginning to believe it. And so he wanted to tell his friends about it at his fraternity house, but that was a scary proposition, right? Because what are they gonna think about me? I don't wanna come across as some Bible thumper, some weirdo, like what are these guys gonna think about me? And so he's kind of having this internal tension and back and forth. And every couple of weeks when he's meeting with his campus minister, he's kind of confessing, like, I, I just, I keep meaning to say something to them, but then I chicken out and I don't say anything and I feel bad about it. And after a few months of this going on, this campus minister finally looks at this young man. And he says, hey, I want you to know something. I know that you're afraid to tell people about God and God knows that you're afraid to tell people about God, but God still loves you. Like God has grace even for that, for your fear about telling people about his grace. God has grace for that. Well, later that week, this campus minister begins to hear that this young man is telling everyone about Jesus. He's telling his fraternity house, he's telling all these people about Jesus. And the next time they meet, he's like, hey, what's the deal? I've heard that, I guess you broke through or like you're not, you're not feeling afraid anymore. Like what, what happened? He said, well, when you told me that God still loved me, even though I was afraid to tell people about Jesus, I just thought that was amazing. I need to tell people about that. <laughs> so here's the point of that story. The fuel of mission for this young man and also the fuel for mission in this story is God's grace. It is God's grace that propels us towards his mission and participating in his mission. And that's what we see at the beginning of the story with these people in the church in Antioch. Because y'all, these people would never hang out together otherwise if they hadn't experienced the grace of God. In the church in Antioch, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the Antioch church was so diverse and from you know, cross cultures, cross ethnicity, cross class, cross all these different boundaries, you've got all these people who are gathering and the people in Antioch can't figure them out. They're like, I, I mean, I guess they're just little Christs. That's, how they, that's where the name Christian came from, was from the church in Antioch. These people who the only thing that they had in common was Jesus. And so here the story begins with two Africans, this Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus, who was a former persecutor of the church, and this guy named Manian, who was part of the social class in power. He was friends with this political figure named Herod, who is a persecutor of the church. That's who's there. This is a group of people who've all experienced the grace of God. It's a bunch of beggars who have found out where there's bread. And that is the fuel for their mission. We need to extend this same grace we've experienced to others. And so do you see what they do? 
what they do before, before they begin doing anything else is they pray and they fast. And I want to be honest, that's been like one of the most convicting parts of this, of studying this passage for me this week. <laughs> when I think about, all right, we're going to start on mission. What are we going to do? And I want to, I, I want to like make flow charts and, you know, maps and strategy, have strategy sessions. And that is just not what they do. They fast and they pray because what they believe is that the one who's going to be fueling their mission is God and his grace. So they need to spend a lot of time with him, asking him to be at work. It's one of the reasons we've started in our, in our staff every morning when we come here to work, what, the way we start is we pray for 30 minutes. We pray. Because if, if any good work is going to happen in this church or in this place, it's going to have to be the Lord. He's got to do it. If you have stuff you want us to pray about, tell us. We want to pray for you. We want to be praying for you. Because this is the fuel of mission. It's God and his grace. He's the one who does it. Leslie Newbigin, who was a missionary to India for 40 years, he says, so he's thought a lot about mission, right? Missionary for 40 years. He says, mission is not just something that the church does. It's something that's done by the Spirit, who is himself the witness, who changes the world and the church, who always goes before the church and its mission. The Spirit is the one who's fueling the mission. We see this, the Spirit is talked about over and over in this passage. The Spirit is the one who's speaking to them, sending them, filling them. The Spirit is at work. And one important just side note, but I think is noteworthy for us to recognize is they don't go on this mission if they think all the religions are the same. They don't go on this mission some of them, some of them, some of these folks are recent Jews converted to Christianity. If they think that's kind of all the same, all the same big religion, why go on mission? Everyone's kind of figuring out their own path to God. But instead, what they believe is that they have been given the bread of life from the only source where it comes from, Jesus. And because of that, they want to go and share this bread with others, even though it's going to be painful and costly and sacrificial. But y'all, that's the Christian life. The Christian life is a life lived on mission. It's not a life of arriving. It's not a life of comfort. It's a life on mission because we've received the fuel for that mission, which is God's grace. But what we should expect and what we see here is that there is going to be resistance to the mission. It's going to happen. So what it, the way that the story continues, verse five, they go to Barnabas's hometown, Cyprus. So Saul and Barnabas show up in Cyprus and they begin doing what the church missionaries would do for years to come. That we'll, and we'll see this in the book of Acts. The first place they go is the Jewish synagogue because they know that the people there are familiar with what we would call the Old Testament, what they would just call their scriptures, the Bible, right? They are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And what they go and proclaim is not that, hey, there's this whole new religion, but that all that, that God has been promising in the Old Testament 
has been made true in Jesus. All the hints of a savior that we need has found its fulfillment in Jesus. So they might show up at a synagogue and say, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 3. Do you see how God is making a promise that there will be one who will come and the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head with his foot? That's Jesus. Jesus was crucified. He was bruised, but he has crushed the head of Satan and defeated death. Or they might say, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 22. And do you see how in Genesis 22, Abraham is commanded to sacrifice his son? And right before Abraham does it, God says, stop, now I know that you are committed to me because you didn't withhold your only son. Take instead this ram and sacrifice it. And Abraham names that mountain on this mountain, the Lord God provided. They can look at Genesis 22 and say, you know what? God, God did the same thing. He sent his only son. And we can look to his son and say to God, now I know that you are committed to me because you didn't withhold your only son. And God went one step further. He didn't have someone come stand and instead, you sent your son to die for me, to die to save the world. Because on the mountain of Calvary, the Lord God provided. Or they could say, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 12 and the Passover lamb. Do you see how God sent He sent a a provision of a Passover lamb so that we could spread the door over the doorposts. So we could spread the the door, the blood over the doorposts. We could spread the blood over the doorposts. And anyone who's in that door, they will be saved from the destroyer of judgment who's coming to judge Egypt. God has sent his son, the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, who's born our judgment, You can say, turn to 2 Samuel 7. Look at these promises that God is making to King David. This king, this shepherd king born from Bethlehem. He says, your kingdom will never end. There is another one who's been born of Bethlehem, born of David's line. He calls himself the good shepherd. It's Jesus. The scriptures are telling us all throughout the pages of the Old Testament that God is, is going to send one who will be our salvation. Jesus has been born. He is the servant. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the king. He's crushed the serpent's head. That's what they would say in the synagogues. They would go and show them how the Old Testament is all about and pointing to and fulfilled by Jesus. It's all about him. And this isn't some like cool trick that you can do with the Old Testament and show how it just points to Jesus. This, God is teaching us something in this. And it's that all of history, all of creation, all of life is ultimately about Jesus. That's why Paul later writes in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's all about Jesus. And so they would show up and proclaim, as it says, the word of God, the good news, and how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. But that gets opposed, as we should expect it to. We see this in verse 7. They're summoned to the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. He's kind of like the governor of the island. 
he's in charge. And he hears about what's going on. He's a man of intelligence, it says. And he also wants to hear what's, what's up. He wants to hear about the word, of the, Lord, or the word of God, it says in verse seven. And so I want you to imagine, in they walk, they're expecting to just meet Sergius Paulus, but there's another guy there. And what a name he has, by the way, right? Bar Jesus. In they walk, and there's Bar Jesus, the magician. That's probably a little unexpected for them. Bar Jesus, his name means son of salvation. He also has this name, Elemis. So it's like Bar Jesus is, you know, he's, maybe it's like his street name or like his rapper name. I don't know. He's just like his stage name, Bar Jesus, son of salvation. I want you to think that if you're a ruler, why, why hire someone like him? Why have him in your throne room? It's because you want insight. You want insight or power for a better life. And this so-called son of salvation is teaching this intellectual man a way to, to the good life. And this is important. He's not just a son of salvation magician. He's also a Jewish prophet. So here's what he's doing. He's taking that same word of God, that same word of God that Saul and Barnabas were opening up and expositing and telling everyone, this points to Jesus. He's taking that same word of God and he's mixing it with other things from their culture and saying, this is how you get saved. This is how you get the good life. This is it, Sergius Paulus. This is what you need. He combines God's salvation plan with his own cultures or his own views. And y'all, we do this. We do this. There's this story about um, a pastor who's gone to be with the Lord now named R.C. Sproul. And Dr. Sproul, uh, one evening at a Christian conference, Christian conference, everyone's gathered, big kind of like hall thing, and they're all talking. He's, he's starting out the conference. He says, all right, at the beginning of this, I want everyone to stand up. Everyone stands up. I want you to imagine if we did, if we did this exercise. Here. I'm not gonna, you guys would hate me if we did this exercise, so we're not doing it, but everyone stand up. Now, if you think that you are more righteous than a prisoner, I want you to stay standing. You know, everyone's still standing. Okay, great. If you think that you're more righteous than your senior pastor, stay standing. Like half the room sits down. Y'all would, y'all all be standing still. But he's like, okay, now, if you think that you're as righteous as Mother Teresa, stay standing. And there's like, most, most everyone in the room sits down, but there's still five people standing up. He's like, okay, interesting. You kind of want to, want to go interview those people, right? He goes, now, if you think you're as righteous as Jesus Christ, stay standing. And four of them sat down and there was one person left. He said, well, we've got some work to do because only one of you understands the gospel. Only one of you understands that in God's eyes, you are just as righteous as his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That by grace, through faith, you have his righteous life credited to you. 
It's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Do we actually believe that? Or do we believe, as I saw on a t-shirt recently, someone's wearing this t-shirt, it just said, wake up, or it says, get up, be awesome, repeat. I saw that shirt, I was like, I need to take a nap after reading that shirt. Whoa. But like, that's kind of how we imagine what we're supposed to be doing when it comes to living out the Christian life. Get up, be awesome, repeat. But y'all, when we add to the gospel, it ruins it. That's like going to Ruth's Chris, getting the bone-in ribeye, and then asking for ketchup. (laughs) You're just ruining it by adding to it. And the same is true with the finished work of Jesus Christ. In his righteous life and death and resurrection, what more do we need? He's done it. And yet we want to add something to the good news to make it more palatable for us or better for us or to make us feel like we're doing it. What are the other things that we add to the gospel? We can't be in Houston and mean not at least say that one of the things that we see happening in the church is that we add prosperity to the gospel. That God, if you will just believe enough, if you'll have the great enough faith, God wants to bless you. He wants to give you a great life. He wants to give you a healthy life. He wants you to be prosperous. But do you, see, do you see what Saul says about taking God's word and twisting it? You see what he, he doesn't mince words with old bar Jesus, does he? Do you see what he says to him? Look at verse 10. You son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Saul, who for the first time is being called Paul right here, interestingly enough, filled with the Holy Spirit. They call, he's, he's Paul. I think he's like living into who he's supposed to be. Filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking truth to power, speaking the gospel. And do you see what he says that Bar-Jesus is doing? He doesn't say you're obliterating the word of God and inventing this whole new thing. That's not, Satan is way more clever than that. When he's calling him the son of the devil, he's like, you're being like, you're being like the spiritual forces of evil. And what the spiritual forces of evil don't do is like beat symbols and say, here comes evil. It's a lot sneakier than that. What happens instead is you take the truth and you just twist it. You take a straight path, you make it crooked. That's what he's saying Bar Jesus is doing. And that's what we do That's what we do with the prosperity gospel. You hear a prosperity gospel preacher preach and they say a lot of good things and then they just twist it. That God God will bless you when you're living right. That's how God wants to bless you. But C.S. Lewis in his um, book, Screwtape Letters, which is, if if you're not familiar with this book, this is a fictional account of a senior level demon writing to his lower level nephew demon about how to tempt people. Listen to what Uncle Screwtape says about prosperity. 
Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. Y'all, there, I think that there's like a prosperity gospel version of how we can do life in a church like this. Because you're not gonna hear, if y'all hear me ever say like, God wants to bless you and like, you just need to have enough faith, like fire me, right? Like you're not gonna hear that hopefully from the pulpit, but what, what, the way, what we will live out with our children or with our family or our neighbors is that what we really need is Jesus plus a comfortable life. That's the good news, is Jesus plus a comfortable life. And so I'm going to aim at making sure my kids have a comfortable life. I'm gonna make sure, I'm gonna grind and make sure that they have all the, po- the opportunities to have the comfortable life that I want for them because that's really the good life. That's the good news for them. And what we have to ask ourselves is, is, is this the mission that God has for us? Is this the gospel that he presents to us? Is our mission that our kids know God's love for them and share that love, even if it takes them to scary places or another country or low-paying jobs? Or would we rather that our kids have some Jesus so that they can be well-behaved and not embarrass us? so that they can make the right decisions, be good moral people, marry well, and get good jobs. If you looked at your calendar, at the way you're spending your days and your times, ask yourself, are you trying to knit into them? What are you trying to knit into them more? What are you trying to knit into yourself more? A life of competency and prosperity or a life of knowing the love of God? What do we actually believe is good news? Because what Uncle Screwtape says to his nephew is that deceit is the best way forward. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Signed, your affectionate Uncle Screwtape. Y'all, if we add anything to the gospel, the gospel plus our works, or the gospel plus our comfortable life. If we add anything to the gospel, do you know what we get? We get a different mission. If you add to the gospel, you end up with a different mission. You add, add good works to the gospel, and then your mission won't be about sharing bread with fellow beggars, but instead, it, your mission will be about showing people how great of a baker you are. You can bake a good loaf of morality. And they need to see that and God needs to see that. And that becomes your mission, which by the way is entirely self-centered. That's what makes us Christians like so fake and image image conscious and hypocritical. When that's the opposite of what we should be. Sinners saved by grace. Beggars in need of bread. Telling others where we found it. What if all you need is Jesus? Jesus. And he gives you himself, not by your works, but by faith, because he's gracious. Do you know how much peace there is in that? That Jesus is enough. Do you know how much peace there is in that? To lean into that, 
to rest in that. So what? Quickly, so what? Well, do you see what happens to Bar Jesus, verse 11? This man who's been blindly leading others into darkness, what does he get? Darkness. He's blinded. And this is, this is what it looks like for God to pour out his judgment on somebody. It's to give them what they want. Since we've been talking about C.S. Lewis, another quote of his is, heaven is man saying to God, thy will be done. Man saying to God, thy will be done. That's what heaven's gonna be like. Thy will be done, God. Like, you know what's best. You made all this awesome stuff that I enjoy. You are, you are gracious and good. You know what's best for me. You're my good father. You've adopted me. Your will be done. It's gonna be great. Hell, he says, is God saying to man, thy will be done. You don't want me. You don't have anything to do with me. You think you know what's best. You think you can take care of yourself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let, okay. Okay. What a terror that is. So what we see here is bar Jesus gets a taste of that. You wanna be a son of salvation? Okay. Here's where it takes you, darkness. Bar-Jesus is blinded. But we don't know what happens to Bar-Jesus in the end. What we do know is that he's blinded and he goes around and he has to be asked, he has to ask to like for people to lead him around. And you know who, you, I love this, think about this. You know who else this sounds like? Saul, who's right there in the room. What happens to Saul right when he's being converted? He's blinded. And he has to be led around. Do you know what Saul could have done with Bar-Jesus in this moment? Hey man, I've been there. I'm a beggar too. You know what? I was blinded. I was blinded. But because of God's grace, not because I'd figured out how to add up my life so that I could have this great comfortable life that's successful. No, because of God's grace, I've been saved. It's probably the most gracious thing that could have ever happened to Bar-Jesus was for him to be blinded to get a taste of where his self-salvation was taking him, which is utter darkness. And so what that means for us, friends, is that's what we get to do, to come alongside our friends, our neighbors, our family, and say, listen, I don't have everything figured out. I'm a beggar. I'm a beggar in need of bread, but I know where to find it. And it's from a good and gracious king, Jesus and the way that we do that is by doing what happens to Sergius Paulus here. It's not by like fancy arguments or even like impressive miracles. Like Sergius Paulus sees this incredible thing happen. This like magician who's been his advisor all of a sudden goes blind when these foreigners walk in and start talking about Jesus. Do you see what amazes him though at the end of verse 12? Why is he amazed? What is it that impresses him? It's not the miracle. It's the teaching of the Lord. It's the word of God. It's the word of God and the power of the spirit applying the good news and the grace of Jesus to his heart. That's what we need. We need to share the good news, the word of God with our neighbors. Christians, you have been given bread that you don't deserve. We've been given it. 
and it came at a precious cost. And now God, not because he wants you to earn his love, but because you already have it, he welcomes you to participate in sharing that bread with others because he loves you. So let's share it together. And if you don't yet know Jesus, this is an invitation. This is an invitation to come and to enjoy the one who has paid for you to have the bread of life, who doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up, to bake your own loaf of morality, but who offers you the bread that he's paid for. So come and eat without price because he's paid it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, um, that your grace is what fuels our lives, our mission, what gives us hope. And so, uh, Lord, I pray for um, the Christians in the room now that you would restore to us the joy of your salvation, not of our salvation that we've earned, but the salvation that you have given us. And Lord, for our friends who are with us who don't yet know you, who are not yet believing or who are maybe skeptical or unsure, Lord, I pray that you would help them um, like you helped Sergius Paulus to see more and more of who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. And Lord, I pray that you, would, uh, that you would help the men and women alongside them to, to be just as patient with them in that process as you are with us. Uh, we thank you that you are, and we give you all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.